0: Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's This B-R-I-O-N McClanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders, free audiobook at the same title read by yours. Truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History. And you get great deals on new and forthcoming courses. If you're on my email list for that class, or for that academy, I should say, you already know that I've got a new class out, 26 Speeches that Changed America. And so you're getting good, good deals on that right now. Uh, it's an awesome class. I talked about it this week. But certainly, um, you, you want to be part of that. It's a way to keep the podcast free of charge, and you get great content when you purchase classes. So, it's a win-win. You can also click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. You can buy a book plate, get one of my books, my latest Jeffersonian tradition, also Southern Scribblings, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, The Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers, Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes, Forgotten Conservatives in American History. I will put out sometime my originalist papers. I've hit a little snag in that, but that's coming. All right, so that's going to be the next book. Maybe before Christmas it'll be out. We'll see. Uh, But that's going to be awesome. Of course, I've got those classes there at McClanahan Academy already. If you've already purchased those classes, you've gotten parts of the book. So that's something that um, you should already know about. And as always... Share the podcast around on social media, rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. And we're wrapping up the week, actually, with a Think Locally, Act Locally driven episode and a principle Think Locally, Act Locally episode. What I mean by that is when you look at what's happening around the world right now and you look at where different things are going in the world, thinking locally and acting locally is going to make a big difference for the future for Americans. Now, the United States is not the only empire, and because it is the only empire in the world that's ever faced a crisis when other regions begin to put pressure on it. It's not the only economic empire in world history. We know that, for example, the Romans had an economic world power. I mean, they could get anything they wanted from anywhere they wanted, at any time they wanted, throughout their series of trade networks. So could the Athenians. And that little, if you were to draw a circle around Greece and cover it all into uh, essentially Mesopotamia, which exits out the Persian Gulf and up through parts of maybe even drag it into India a little bit. If you put a circle around that, the Baltic Sea, all are in that area, right? That at one time covering Egypt, going down through Egypt, that area at one time was the center of the world, and it certainly was a an interchangeable, or, or I should say an international economy. I mean, the trade was global. You had trade networks all throughout the world at that point. The British could do the exact same thing. So we've had these large trade networks throughout history. The Dutch were at one time the UPS of the world. They traded everything. So having a global economy is something that is not new, But the difference, I think, in this modern global economy to, say, maybe some global economies of the last century, last maybe two, three centuries, is the absence in America of a domestic industry. Now, when you go back to, say, uh, the 12th century BC, somewhere in there, right, when you had this global economy, Domestic industry was something that everyone had to do to survive, though you did have, of course, products brought in that you could not get in your area, which was a given. And you look at domestic industry then in the Roman Empire. Well, I mean, you did have domestic industries, but other things, of course, were brought in that you couldn't get in, say, Italy or um, Gaul Or places like that, or North Africa. I mean, wherever the wherever the Romans were, Britannia, wherever they were, right, you you had to bring stuff in that they couldn't get there. But I think now Americans have lost entirely the domestic industry initiative. Now, we can talk about agrarianism, but this even has to do with things like that, right? We grow a lot of food in the United States. The United States is still the breadbasket of the world. It still provides food for around the world. We grow more food than we could ever consume here in a year in the United States. Grow it all over the place. And of course, when you do look at some drought conditions and other things, it does put a strain on what kind of resources we can get in America. But uh, there was a piece the other day I was reading about berries and other things that we just get all the time now. There used to be summer products. You couldn't get strawberries unless it was summer you get strawberries all year round. You can get Fruits, any kind of fruit you want, for the most part, all year round. Now, you're going to pay more for it in the off-season. It's not going to be quite as good because they got to import it from somewhere else, and it's got to sit on trucks. and it, So it's not going to be as tasty as it would be right out of the ground. There's nothing like uh, growing your own fruit and picking it right off the vine and eating it. Uh, it's so good, and there's nothing like it. And so uh, if you buy it at the store, you're going to face supply chain issues. And that's actually what I want to talk about today, is supply chain and some other things that have to do with that in the context of thinking locally and acting locally. So This is where your local farmers come into play, knowing where your food is produced, your local fruits, your local vegetables, your local uh, meats, eggs. Uh, Hydroponic farming has become a, a big deal. Greenhouses where you just uh, you don't even need any dirt. You just kind of hook the water in. It's really interesting how they do these things. And you get, there was a guy that near us that did this. Great uh, greens. I mean, this guy had lettuces that were just so good. And he had a little greenhouse. He's a bus driver. Had a greenhouse in his backyard that he had all these different kinds of lettuces he was growing back there. It's amazing stuff. And it was cheap, too. He charged you hardly anything for it. Yeah, just come on in. Get what you want. Hydroponic farming. It's really good stuff. So we, that's local, though. I knew the guy. I mean, he's, he drove a bus in the community. So we have this, this idea of you know, local and also industry, You know, having domestic industries, having things where you produce necessary items for your population in case they're needed. And I go back to 2019, a couple of years ago, maybe even a year ago, I can't remember what it was, Jeff Deist at Mises pointed out that Americans don't even make aspirin anymore. We don't have the capability in the United States of producing aspirin. It's all imported. We don't have any domestic aspirin at all. Most of our drugs that we need are imported. And so we're facing a situation that if the suppliers of these pharmaceuticals cut off, and the most important one, of course, is antibiotics. If suppliers of these pharmaceuticals cut off the supply chain for whatever reason, Americans would be in bad shape because we wouldn't be able to get these antibiotics. And there's a lot of other things. We've seen this now because of COVID, uh, things like uh, PPEs, you know, personal protective equipment, manufactured in China. I mean, so much of the stuff comes from China. And the Chinese have been ingenious about this. They've been gobbling up uh, natural resources in places like Africa and Central America. They've been buying it out. And they're doing it because they're going to control, they're going to corner the market on some of these materials, like cobalt, for example. Well, cobalt almost all, almost all of it, I believe, I believe all of it, if memory serves me correctly, comes from Africa. So the Chinese have essentially partnered with African nations and they're going to just buy it all up. And then if you want your car batteries, the car, Chinese car battery company, or car, China, electric car companies in China are like a dime a dozen, from what I understand. There's, there's, there's just hundreds of them, these electric car company startups. They're going to try to corner the market on electric cars. You see, we have always, General Motors has always been selling a lot of cars in China. It's why back in the Obama administration, when uh, they cut off some of the uh, automobile, uh, some of the brands from General Motors, like Pontiac, for example. I love Pontiac cars. Uh, I had one for years. It was uh, it was just something I really loved. And of course, you know, Pontiac made they were going to be the performance side of General Motors. They were going to reintroduce the the Firebird and the Trans Am. They were going to do that, and there was actually a concept out there for a Pontiac Trans Am which looked really cool. Well, they had to drop it. Why? Because after the uh, the downturn of 2007 2008, when General Motors asked the United States government for a bailout, they had to get rid of some brands. Well, Pontiac went because they didn't sell any Pontiacs in China. They also got rid of Saturn. Saturn was a you know startup in the in the what 90s early 90s they started selling Saturns, but the the uh, Pontiac brand had to go, and the reason being there was some discussion about getting rid of Buick. And Buick in the United States has the has the uh, distinction of being kind of you know like an old person's car. It's a grade below Cadillac. So if you're going to go get a luxury car and you want a General Motors, why would you buy a Buick? You just buy a Cadillac. Uh, just forget about the Buick. Um, so it was kind of this mid grade luxury car, and it just didn't have a great appeal. The problem is that Chinese the Chinese love Buicks. They love Buick. So they sell, General Motors sold a lot of Buicks, but they didn't sell a lot of Pontiacs. They didn't sell any Pontiacs in China. So, And they could have chopped GMC, which is, again, you know, a little bit better version of your Chevy pickup or your Chevy SUV. So they could have cut that, but the pickups and SUVs make a, have a tremendous profit margin. So they weren't going to do that, so Pontiac had to go. So American car manufacturers have always sold a lot of cars in China, and it dominates some some of the decisions that are made even in American car manufacturing. But if the Chinese can produce their own electric cars, well, they can cut that out. See, the Chinese are always thinking about what benefits China. What is more important for China? What can we do to corner the market on some things for China? The United States doesn't do that. The United States, of course, operates in a situation where our global and, and we like this. Our global situation, we want cheap stuff, we want cheap products, we want, we want people who make slave wages essentially. We want them to, to produce our cheap stuff, our sneakers, our clothes, our whatever our manufactured goods are, even our pharmaceuticals. So the Chinese make most of our pharmaceuticals. Well, let's say what if they cut that off? We can't even make these things here. That puts the United States in a real disadvantage. We we're, we're actually now exporting water to China. They bought up some. Some air, we, I talked about this, the Chinese buying up land and uh, how that's, that's farmland. We're exporting water from the Great Lakes of China because they pollute all their own rivers, so they're getting our water now. So, I mean, certainly, well, I mean, this is okay. You know, Americans make money on this. But on the other hand, these are resources that Americans need. And, of course, we're importing tremendous amounts of foreign labor into the United States. That causes problems, too. But... This comes down to a Think Locally, Act Locally, and it's about supply chain issues. So because of the pandemic, we've seen supply chain issues. So if you had a much more localized economy and society, the supply chain issues wouldn't be as pressing. It wouldn't be as big of a deal now. Gasoline is one thing. You know, gasoline is something the Americans need now. Well, what if we had all electric cars? Well, what happens when all those batteries? I saw. What happens when all these batteries go bad? What happens when they put put such a strain on the grid? First of all, you need all the cobalt, and nickel, and everything else to produce these things, and Americans don't have a lot of that. We got to we got to import that stuff. So, what happens when? And uh, you know, then your power grid. You have to have your plug in your house. It takes a separate kind. of you can't just plug it into your regular standard outlet. you got to have a special outlet for it. And every house has one of these. The grid can't support it. We don't have enough copper to do it. So, I mean, nobody really thinks about these things. And of course, there is the back end of it. you got to get the power from a power plant. And that power plant is going to be strained. No one thinks about these things. But so gasoline is something that that we all want, but what happens if you kind of a walk around society? And this is why you know the the, the uh, people are so interested in moving back into urban areas. They just walk to everything. Uh, this is the gentrification issue, and some people don't like that, but certainly that creates a more localized economy. You go back to having the local market, the the local store. Uh, but shipping is a big thing now, right? Shipping is everything. So there's this article out. Uh, from, uh, from CNN Business, and it was published on September 29th. And it says, the workers who keep global supply chains moving are warning of a system collapse. Now, all we import so much stuff into America that if there was a system collapse of markets like this, if the global supply chain went through a strain, it's already strained, but it went through a situation where it collapsed. Well, That could be really bad. Seafarers, truck drivers, and airline workers have endured quarantines, travel restrictions, and complex COVID-19 vaccination and testing requirements to keep stretched supply chains moving during the pandemic. But many are now reaching their breaking point, posing yet another threat to the badly tangled network of ports, container vessels, and trunking companies that move goods around the world. In an open letter Wednesday to heads of state attending the United Nations General Assembly, the International Chamber of Shipping, and other industry groups warned of a global transport system collapse if governments do not restore freedom of movement to transport workers and give them priority to receive vaccines recognized by the World Health Organization. So the shutdowns are creating transportation and shipping issues. They're creating supply chain issues, all the shutdowns. So this is the—everybody every everybody shut down, right? It wasn't just the United States. Everyone shut down. And so what that's done is create the supply chain issues. It's hard to get things now. Things that you could, I mean, you go in, I, I, going into the deli at the supermarket, looking at what the meats are available, hardly anything there because they're not producing these things. I think we're looking at the new normal in some ways because what's going to happen is people are just going to not produce as much stuff with all the regulations and everything else. They're not going to do it. This COVID situation is going to have a drag long-term on the economy that we probably have never seen in a long period of time. I mean, it's it's been decades and decades and decades since this. Americans have enjoyed a life of plenty that may be gone forever. It may be gone forever with all the shutdowns. I don't know. But this is where local comes back into play. You don't have to endure not having things if you just had things that you need that are produced locally. The supply chain issue would not be as pronounced. But we import so much stuff that it is. Now, again, one side you think, well, that's great. We get everything we want. We have anything we want in the United States. On the other side of that is, oops, uh, what happens if all those places don't like us, don't agree with us, don't do the, want, don't want to sell to us? Whatever it is, now we're running out of stuff, and some of these things are essential items, like I said, pharmaceuticals. Global supply chains are be, are beginning to buckle as two years worth of strain on transport workers take their toll. The groups wrote, the letter has also been signed by the International Air Transport Association, the International Food, or I'm sorry, Road Transport Union and the International Transport Workers Federation. Together, they represent 65 million transport workers globally. All transport sectors are also seeing a shortage of workers and expect more to leave as a result of the poor treatment millions have faced during the pandemic, putting the supply chain under greater threat. There's so many open jobs, but yet it's still hard to get a job. A lot of people are overqualified. You You have that. So, I mean, there's all kinds of situations coming into play here with this shutdown scenario that we've created in the world. I don't, I mean, I'm not a fear monger. I don't get into that. I don't I don't believe in that. I said even in January of 2020, you can go back and look at my podcast on the issue. January of 2020, I said, look, this this thing, this COVID thing, looks like it could be pretty bad. Um it looks like it's it could be a, a big issue. And I was talking about how at that point Uh, things were going to change, and gosh, if I wasn't right. But I didn't see some of these things coming. I I just didn't see it. Guy Platton, Secretary General of the ICS, said that the worker shortages are likely to worsen towards the end of the year because seafarers may not want to commit to new contracts and risk not making it home for Christmas given port shutdowns and constant changes to travel restrictions. So shutting everything down is... Disastrous. It's disastrous. This is going to have major implications for the future of the world. That will heat pressure on stretched supply chains and could, for example, worsen current challenges with food and fuel supply in the United Kingdom. The global supply chain is very fragile and depends as much on a seafarer from the Philippines as it does on a truck driver to deliver goods, added Stephen Cotton, ITF Secretary General. The time has come for heads of government to respond to these workers' needs. Well, I mean, the way you could do that is just open everything back up again. Look, this is what the Scandinavian countries are doing. They're saying, we've got to just live with what's going on here. we just got to get life back to normal again. It's just got to go back to normal. We're just going to have to live with it and try to figure out how to deal with it. And it's horrible. And it's dangerous. And we know that. We know these things are there. And we got to protect vulnerable people. we got to try to do the best we can with the situation at hand. We do this every year with infectious diseases. And so this is what they're saying we're going to have to do. We're just going to have to throw our hands up. We can't stop it. There's never going to be a a zero situation like some people wanted. It's never going to happen. When Karen Marshall and her crew were told they wouldn't be allowed to go on shore upon docking in Japan, it was a big hit to morale. None of us knew how long it would go on for, the 28-year-old chief officer of a car-carrying ship told CNN Business. That was more than 18 months ago. Marshall and hundreds of thousands of seafarers like her have not been permitted since, permitted shore leave since. After weeks on board a ship, a couple of hours on shore provides much-needed respite, but seafarers can only leave a vessel in order to travel elsewhere, usually to return home. Marshall considers herself one of the luckier ones because she has at least been able to make it home to the United States. There are people who have been stuck at sea for over a year, she said. Early in the pandemic, many seafarers agreed to extend their contracts by several months to keep supplies of food, fuel, medicine, and other consumer goods flowing around the world. The grounding of planes and border closures have made it almost impossible to move workers from one part of the world to another and to swap crews. At the peak of the crisis in 2020, 400,000 seafarers were unable to leave their ships for routine changeovers. Some working as long for as long as 18 months beyond the current end of their initial contracts. Well, I mean, this is this is barbaric in some ways, right? Uh, this is what this thing has done. This is what governments have done to the world. And why thinking locally and acting locally becomes important. There's an image on this article of all these trucks lined up at Heathrow Airport. I'm sorry, Man- Manston Airport. Excuse me, Manston Airport in England. Uh, I mean, it's it's amazing. We're, we're And then, of course, we've had all kinds of supply chain disruptions for all kinds of things. While these numbers have improved, crew changes remain a major challenge. Some travel restrictions were reimposed as a result of the coronavirus Delta variant, and transport workers continue to face a myriad of vaccine and testing requirements just to do their jobs. Often these are imposed at a moment's notice, said Platten. Inconsistent requirements mean that some seafarers have been vaccinated multiple times because some countries have approved only certain vaccines. I mean, that, Again, that's also barbaric. It's an absolute nightmare. I can't understand why we don't have some sort of global standard. Well, because government's involved in this. He says one one seafarer has received six doses of vaccine, three different vaccines, six doses. Can you imagine? This is is unreal, and it's all caused by government. So again, what is the situation that you do? Well, um, you try to think local and act local. You try to... Do as much as you can in your local, and I mean, people need to start rethinking the America, the United States needs to start rethinking its its situation with uh, necessary things like medicines and other goods that are necessary for life to continue. Or we are in real trouble in the United States. Coronavirus testing is also a challenge. In February, Germany unilaterally introduced mandatory PCR testing with no exemption for truck drivers. Leading neighborhood countries, including I'm sorry, neighboring countries including Italy, to impose similar restrictions to avoid having thousands of drivers stranded in their own country. These measures affected thousands of truck drivers, particularly on the Brenner Pass between Italy and Austria, forcing them to queue for days in sub-zero temperatures with no food or medical facilities. The EU digital COVID certificate has since eased some of the pressures, but bottlenecks remain. I mean, again, what are we doing? What are we doing? Nobody is what are we doing right now? Nobody's asking this question and it's it's we're living in very dangerous times. So there's never been a better time to start thinking locally and acting locally and trying to protect yourself from some of these things. There's never been a better time to do it. Drivers have faced hundreds of border issues and blockades throughout the pandemic said Uh, Umberto De Preto, RU Secretary General, truck drivers and the citizens and businesses that depend on the goods they move pay heavy price for misguided COVID restrictions that do not exempt transport workers, he added. Marshall, the chief officer, and her crew had to do 10 COVID tests in seven days before they were allowed to enter the shipyard in Singapore for repairs last month. Maintenance was delayed by a week following a coronavirus outbreak at the port and the vessel is not expected to leave before mid-October. In the meantime, the crew must remain on board the ship. Compulsory quarantines when disembarking and on arrival in their home countries can mean that pilots and seafarers spend a month of their vacation time stuck in a hotel room before they're able to see their families. Seafarers run the shipping industry, yet they have not been given the priority of frontline workers, said uh, Shalesa Sakute, the captain of a uh, C-SPAN Amazon, a container ship. If you want the world to keep moving, you need to to relax travel restrictions, he told CNN Business. We're doing the exact opposite. Exact opposite. So what are we doing? The the question needs to be asked, if we want the world to have some semblance of normal, what are we doing with, with consumer goods? But it shows the fragility of our world economy and how it can collapse pretty quickly with the supply chain disruption and how the things that we take for granted, the things that we have, might be very hard to get. I said it before. When Americans are angry that COVID and this pandemic and everything else with it, all the government problems with it, has created open wounds that I didn't I didn't see coming. I, I said five years ago, Americans are angry. This has exacerbated the problem. And if you really had supply chain disruptions, it would get even worse. We're facing a a crisis. I think in the future that no one has ever seen before. Unless some things straighten out pretty quickly. And we're seeing it with the economy right now. It's starting to, the strains are really starting to show again. Uh, I don't know where we're going here. But I do know that thinking locally and acting locally and trying to take care of your own backyard and your own people and trying to insulate yourself as much as you can from this stuff has never been more essential than it is today. And I think this article shows that 100%. Shows it 100%. We are in certainly historic times, and how we deal with that moving forward is going to just determine you know, what happens in the future um, with government, society. There's never been a better time to start thinking about the local than today. All right. Hope you enjoyed this week at the Brian McLean Hand Show. we will see you next week. See you then.